0: days before the election and uh, we just had an Apple announcement and uh, there's some goofy stuff going on with Twitter. Right. Pick one.
1: Well, let's, let's start with uh, Twitter. Um, so word is, word is out that they want to uh, encourage more meaningful conversations so they're planning to or thinking about planning to drop the uh the like button, and some people are proposing they should drop retweets, uh, both of which are idiotic ideas.
0: I agree uh I think that they're uh you know an overreaction to uh, the whole fake news scenario so uh,
1: absolutely and one problem with Twitter is that. Neither the
0: developers
1: nor anyone on the platform really gets it. It it is so such a, a, an amorphous platform that can be bent to so many uses that it um, you know it, its users have defined it to a large extent, but they've defined it across purposes. So I, I read, remember writing once years ago. I'm happy I'm on Twitter, but I don't know what it's for.
0: Well, I was on Twitter for. Uh more than a year before I actually did anything uh, because I was basically waiting to see if anybody other than uh, the person who who recommended it to me uh, thought that there was some utility for it. I find it very useful. Um, uh,
1: Of course, one of of the keys to my being able to use it is a a feature known as lists where you can uh, just... Make subsets of all the people on Twitter that you're interested in, whether or not you follow them. So, so I can browse Twitter by topic, and I find that very helpful.
0: Right, I've never been uh, a fan of lists, uh, mostly because I think that they're, you know, basically you're, uh what Dave Weiner used to call your sharecropping uh, on somebody else's idea of a business model.
1: Well, um, I, don't, I, you know, I don't get any personal benefit from it except uh, interest. I don't know if I'm <clears> sharecropping. I mean, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not earning money from it, and I don't pay attention to who else is
0: earning money from it. Yeah, no, I'm not concerned about the earning money aspect. Uh, to me, the coin of the realm uh, on Twitter and most social networks is whether or not there's uh, valuable information or not yes and how to get to it so I think that the the retweet uh, you know I, I don't care whether they change like back to favorite uh, I could care less but uh, uh, the the retweet function uh, I think is really where the only value uh, from Twitter uh, resides at this point
1: Oh, well, I agree it's, it's one of the most useful things um, the the people whose uh, Interests interest me, send me stuff, point me to stuff that I would not have found otherwise.
0: Yeah, not only that, but, uh, uh, you know, the management problem of dealing with, uh, uh, you know, retweets uh, as a, you know, social signal uh, has gotten so uh, difficult to uh, manage that uh, the signal is not uh, as valuable as it once was. Well, I mean, there's I one
1: use, particular there's one particular Twitter user um, whose tweets are odious and damaging to the social and political fabric of our country, and uh, people retweet him all the time. That annoys me.
0: Yeah, but I, I don't follow him, and I don't follow uh, the people that uh, retweet him. Well. I certainly don't
1: follow him. And that's why it annoys me when people retweet him because people that I would otherwise be
0: interested in keep exposing him to me. And I've, but con- I, I consider that to be a service uh, on the part of those people uh, to make sure that uh, I filter them out of the stream that I'm looking at.
1: Well, I, I, I'm tempted to do that. And occasionally I do that, but usually there are people wh- whose other opinions and, uh, access to information I value. It's just that they, they seem to think that they're doing a service by retweeting something that's odious, untrue, and damaging.
0: Well, I find that uh, a problem to manifest itself mostly uh, on television, not on uh, on Twitter. Uh, I mean, I just don't run into it that, that much uh, on Twitter, but I certainly run into it uh, on the cable news networks. I mean, MSNBC, which is uh, my network of choice for the most part, uh, uh, they still basically put on, I'd say, 70% uh, of the utterances by that particular person that we're talking about. Uh, And I find that just to be infuriating. It's like and it's even uh, gone to uh, uh Brian Williams' show uh, the 11th the 11th hour which uh the last couple of nights has distinguished itself uh from uh the preceding show which is Lawrence O'Donnell which has been uh, superlative for the last few days uh oh. And uh, and Brian has uh, all of a sudden, I don't know whether his ratings are down or somebody at the uh, front office basically told him to uh, balance up the uh, noise from, uh, you know, I mean, if I want to watch Fox, I'll just watch Fox. Right. I don't
1: don't know. You know, I've actually been off MSNBC for the most part for a couple of weeks now.
0: Well, I've been off of most of these networks uh, as much as possible. I use the mute button uh, because essentially all they're doing is uh, waiting like I am, and I suspect you, uh, for uh, Tuesday. Here's my
1: cynical uh, view about uh, oh, the two things are what? I'm sorry, I, I, I cut you off. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I was, I was going to say the cynical view of what uh, Twitter is contemplating is that they will encourage more people to talk rather than simply signal their uh, attention by clicking a button and that will uh, increase their usage and their traffic and whatever other metrics are important to them so there's 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 a cynical ploy to it, but I don't think it will work I think you know if people are not at the threshold where they want to actually say something uh they're not going to get to that threshold by removing the simple signal of a like button or a favorite button
0: right and i think the uh the curation aspects of twitter uh, both in receiving and in signaling by your usage of twitter are much more important signals than anything that i personally have to say right so,
1: okay. I, so I don't I, I don't know where we can I don't know where we end with this. It's a, it's something that they're working through and uh, it will either make me more or less interested in the platform. I don't. Know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I think that uh, uh, I noticed that uh, some people whose social skills I respect uh, have just started using the RT uh, retweet method uh, going back to just doing it in text because when they outlaw text, uh-huh. Twitter's done. So uh, I just think it's uh, it, it's the fundamentals of the internet, the 404 failing over, uh, which allows the internet to continue to exist. Uh, I think that that approach needs to be taken with retweets. I mean, if they're stupid enough to do this, uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to be stupid enough to uh, to really care. I'll just, I'll switch back to uh, what I was doing before. Do you know how they're doing uh, in, in terms of revenue? Uh, you know, I think they had a really good quarter this last time. And um, I, you know, I, I just don't, uh, I don't consider, I don't, I think that they've been normal normalized or normaled out of the uh, election. I don't think that anything that uh, anybody does on Twitter is having any impact whatsoever on the outcome. Maybe on the numbers, maybe on uh, you know the distribution of people that are actually going to show up and vote, uh, maybe. But I, I kind of doubt it. I think that this is going to be, uh, it's going to be, a, looks pretty clear that it's going to be a Democrat uh, takeover of the house, which is the minimum requirement for saving uh, democracy, I I- if if it's possible, and uh, and the beyond that, uh, I think everything else is just uh, a manufactured ginned up horse race on the part of the media.
1: All right, let's get to the next topic.
0: Oh, I just did.
1: Okay. Which All is, right. So,
0: yeah. so the, the only thing left. Uh, is uh, the the real uh, leaders of uh, the country and the world, which is uh, Apple. Yes. So, what do you think?
1: Well, Apple. Apple produced one of those events that is is very easy to yawn at. But if you look at what they announced, it's pretty. It's 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 a great leap forward for all of the three product lines that they talked about. Um, I mean, they, they did a super advance on the MacBook Air, a super advance on the iPad Pro, and uh, a, as much as anyone could expect on the Mac Mini. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't. You know, uh, some people only pay attention to Apple if they introduce some breakthrough product category that nobody ever heard of. But you know, the business of running Apple is the business of continuing to get people to uh, re-up and replace their current product with a better one. And because the products are so solid solid to begin with, the only way they can do that is by making uh, pretty substantial progress model after model. Uh, People have have different uh, periods under which they consider upgrading. And, and and various people hold on to a, a product for four, five, six years. Some people are insistent on having the latest and greatest within 18 months or less. Uh, but it doesn't really matter where you stand on that spectrum. At some point, you're going to see an offering that makes whatever you have now look uh, a, a worse than you want to tolerate. And, uh, and you reach into your bank account and and, and get the new one.
0: And I think they're continuing to do that. Right. And I think the, uh, the first of all, I think that the uh, imperative of the cloud is at work here. Uh, I think one of the reasons that Salesforce uh, became so successful and basically turned uh, many of its competitors, and in fact the whole uh, technology industry, toward the cloud was this imperative of uh, having to provide continued advances, innovation, and value uh, in order to uh, continue to have a relationship with the customer. And I think that's what's going on with uh, Apple in spades. I think that they are extraordinary in their understanding of and uh, flexing of their ecosystem that they've developed.
1: Yes. Uh, I I agree with that uh, entirely. You know, they they do a few things that seem to annoy some people, like dropping headphone jacks, or uh, things that annoy many people, like changing the connector from one one thing to another and forcing everybody to get new connectors or new dongles and and adapters. Um, but for the most part, what they do is
0: pleasing. So, in terms of the specifics, uh, uh, let's start with the uh, with the Mac Mini only because it's uh, uh, you know vi- visibly the least uh, interesting. But to me, it's uh, uh, essentially they're developing, uh, as they showed on one of the videos that they produced in the uh, uh, announcement uh, extravaganza from uh, Brooklyn. Uh, they're creating the ability to uh, have. Very, very large rendering farms uh, for the, uh, the media industries yes. uh, that that's what this has done, and they showed uh, a, a rack full of uh, a thousand uh, of the new Mac minis uh, generating uh, incredible amounts of digital animation and uh, uh, digital uh, rendering uh, that I think that if you extract uh, extrapolate from that into You know the not user-generated content, but more uh, the ability to be able to produce a professional product uh, with what appear to be consumer tools. uh, You you start to see something that's uh, that is going to emerge uh, in terms of this binge viewing, uh, sort of what they call peak TV uh, kind of uh, ecosystem. Uh, and I think that Apple, uh, with some of their uh, plans around uh, content, uh, seem to be uh, uh, interested in moving into that as a service.
1: Yes, I think it's. I think it's a good insight. Um, it's something that Apple has done since uh, early on in the in the Mac story. Um, you know, the, I mean, the first big breakthrough was what they called desktop publishing, which essentially replaced. Uh, $100,000 or $500,000 typesetting workstations with $10,000 setups with a, a Mac and a laser printer. Um, and, and that ability to take consumer level gear and produce professional results is something that they've wor- worked through the years in, in every field in, in terms of typesetting and t- image processing, in terms of video processing in terms of animation and, and now the Mac Mini takes it to a
0: whole new level yeah and the uh, you know to go back to your example uh, for a second the uh, the ability of uh, the uh, person who is creating the document to become the publisher of that document it kind of presaged uh, the web and the move away from print and into uh you know, uh, web and then app development. But it it, fundamentally what it did was to change the relationship between, uh, you know, a vice president of the company and uh, his or her executive assistant and uh, the people that that were consultants to that company. Uh, You know, the whole business uh, environment and relationship was overturned by this ability to Basically, do it yourself, or to find somebody who uh, could do it as a representative of yourself. Uh, it really changed the way the modern corporation worked, as far as I can see.
1: It did, although not everybody was was happy with it. But I like having a secretary, but I don't want to do my own color separations. I like sending it out.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you you worked at Apple. Right. I'm not sure what your Uh, day-to-day experience was, but uh, I'm pretty sure that it it morphed over a period of time. Oh,
1: it it certainly did.
0: I mean, you know, people got used to and then
1: got to... I mean, you know, there are different people at different parts of the spectrum. There are always some people who have been always waiting to be able to afford to do something that was just out of their reach and required investments that they couldn't manage. And then as soon as they become affordable, they, they jump at it, and, you know, there are other people who have to be uh, dragged a little bit later when it turns out that uh, so many people are doing it this new way that they can't afford not to. And, and, you know, it's, it's the adopter curve, uh, the early adopters and the late adopters, the early adopters want to want to be first to do it. And the late adopters say, Oh, I can't afford to hold out anymore. I'm being left behind.
0: Exactly. I mean, that's the uh, uh, the imperative of the cloud is it's not uh, what you think you need to do; it's what you think your competitor needs to do. Right. Um, So the uh, uh, some of the things in the MacBook Pro, or excuse me, the uh, MacBook Air refresh are are interesting because they uh, tend to build out. again, at a semi-corporate level, uh, the uh, ability to be able to have a small device... you know Basically, they're playing off their uh, product development in the MacBook uh, over the last several years and uh, basically providing a lower-cost uh, uh, price entry for the MacBook Pro, which is the sort of flagship of content creation.
1: Yeah, it seems as though they have... Uh, managed to deliver most of the value of last year's 13-inch MacBook Pro in
0: mm-hmm. a
1: slimmer package. Um, and in terms of uh, using the computer mainly as a media-consuming device rather than a creating device, uh, a lot of the stuff that's in the MacBook Pro probably isn't necessary. Uh, and if you can deliver the the screen experience and a good keyboard in a lighter package, uh, you've got a product that will appeal to a vast number of people. So the... Uh, also, the fact that there hasn't been a refresh in this line for almost five years, I think. So right, There's
0: a lot of pent-up demand for a good, modern MacBook Air. Yeah, although I think that the uh, competition or the uh, uh, dissonance between uh, the MacBook uh, you know, whether it's pro or air now. And, uh, the iPad, uh, is really the central, uh, issue of, uh, what Apple's doing. I mean, there's always talk about how, uh, Apple, I mean, but by, by, uh, Tim's what, what's his name? Uh, it the helped. guy who, thank you. Yeah. Um, when he refers to Steve, I don't have to wonder who he's talking about. Uh, There's there's been this discussion about how uh, the iPad's going to replace the Mac, and my instinct is is that that's just not true, Uh, not because of uh, anything other than just the uh, uh, pent-up cycles that have gone into the uh, underlying OS, and the difficulty in transitioning uh, two OSs into a, a common one.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's any need to do that. I, I'm, clearly, the products overlap for many users, and there are there will be people who will stand there and say, "Should I get this? Or get a, Should I get that?" But that's always been the case uh, when you have a range of products. Some products inevitably will cannibalize the market for other products in your own product line, and if you're afraid to do that, you're not going to make much progress.
0: I think, though, that what the uh, the iPad uh, pro announcements does, uh, I think there are a couple of areas that are really, really important. Uh, one of them, uh, oddly, I would suggest is the pencil. Absolutely. Agree. Uh, and you know, what does that do? It basically uh, illustrates uh, dramatically uh, the uh, intersection of a number of different uh, features on the phone or phones. Uh, such as uh, wireless—I'm uh, 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 losing the word here. When you recharge, charging. wireless charging. Wireless charging, yes. Uh, uh, a way of holding the uh, device, the pencil to the product that it that uses it, and uh, which is a magnet, right. and, and 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 simply uh, a very flexible use of the sort of orchestrated uh, relationship between multiple devices, which I think is the uh, single most important thing that Apple's doing in general, which is they're moving toward, uh, and I want to get into the uh, article that you uh, uh, uploaded to the app uh, that I found fascinating, as you indicated in the app, that this article uh, by someone on, what is it, Apple Insider? Um, or one of those, uh, you know, specialty yes. publications, uh, is an extraordinary understanding of uh, the sophistication and the skill with which Apple uh, enters the marketplace. But uh, uh, the specific reference here, I think, is to the conceit of that article, uh, which uh, I think uh, is a little bit ahead of the curve. But nonetheless, the idea that AR and VR, but mostly AR is actually already in place in audio, which I thought was a very sophisticated uh, understanding, beyond mine for, for example. Yes,
1: it's a, a, a very sharp insight, isn't it? But uh,
0: it, what we see with the uh, iPad Pro and the Pencil is an example of how they are moving uh, to the eyeglasses, to the Uh, You know, they're moving to the ears with the AirPods. They're moving to uh, smart speakers with uh, the HomePods. These products, regardless of what their market penetration is today, uh, augurs for them uh, being incredibly successful. Since they have this built-in channel of people that are basically looking for the signals of when to enter, not if, but when. Right
1: you know it's it's a switch from from having uh, a computer in your environment your your office or your home to being in the computer <laughs> I mean suddenly uh, you're surrounded by your computer
0: and there's no getting away from it uh, I mean I use the the Apple watch uh, on a constant basis I haven't yet upgraded because for for the reason that i just suggested which is it's not a question of when it's or if it's when uh i I, right now i'm getting such utility out of the series three and that utility comes with an increased ability to be able to uh uh, you know react and interact with notifications uh, the ability to uh, find uh, ways of staging information uh, through uh, individual apps and the use of the phone for certain things. Uh, you know the 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 new phone that I have, uh, which is the uh, I, I hesitate to go, to remember what the name is, but it ends with Max. Right. Uh, you know, it's basically an iPhone X or iPhone X with. A lot more storage and a lot more uh, battery, but and bigger you, screen. Yeah, uh, and and what that does, uh, it, when you get past the the, uh, cost of the investment and uh, the likelihood that the next one will also be interesting, uh, is the ability to basically stage uh, a greater amount of information uh, on the phone. And avoid going up to the iPad or uh, to, to the uh, desktop. It, you know this this transition will uh, immediately produce results in terms of the AI uh, that the system understands in terms of who you are and where you are. I went for a walk yesterday with my wife, and uh, I, I resolutely do not use uh, any of the so-called healthy aspects of uh the phone or the watch uh mostly because i I figure i I don't need anybody uh further scolding me besides uh, the people that care about me and and vaguely myself but flip that it's not scolding it's encouraging yeah no i i appreciate that, that somebody's interested even not uh remotely but the 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 point is is that Uh, I I don't want any information about how poorly I'm doing in terms of exercise, which is how I read it. But nonetheless, uh, they figured out uh, in the latest update of uh, uh, iOS, uh, they figured out how to be able to sort of ease me into that data. So I'm about 10 minutes out walking. And all of a sudden, uh, the watch vibrates, and it, it, it shows up uh, indicating, you know, basically, it uh, looks like you're out for a walk. Do you want to record it? And I thought about that, and I said, oh, okay. So I click one click, and, you know, and then we're going, and all of a sudden, I'm starting to get all this telemetry about uh, the walk, and it's, it's fascinating and the use of ai or uh you know machine learning or machine human interface learning uh which is i think you alluded to before uh is uh it's just a benefit that goes so far beyond uh our ability to i mean basically the machine is encouraging me to do more of this i i, I think that the 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 new Iteration of,
1: of the OS has taken that to a, a, a really pleasing level. Uh, I I noticed the change because in, in the old versions, I had the same reaction that you have. Stop scolding me. Stop telling me to get up. Don't don't nudge me all the time. You're not my mother. Go away. <laughs> and and somehow they've um, they've managed to soften
0: it and and make it much more um, appealing. And and not only that, but uh, as they Take in the data about acceptance, the pleasing it being the operative word. Uh, the the metrics improve, and they can see that, and yes. they can see what's successful and what isn't successful, and they can, uh, you know, it becomes a much more humanistic, and much less intimidating uh, use of technology. And I I think that it's uh, the, their leadership. Uh, in doing this so not only does it drive their own strategies but it drives their competitor strategy duplicated
1: it. I it's clear that, that that someone has thought very deeply about the kinds of text strings the kinds of messages and prompts that they will provide um, because they're they're
0: just so much better this season than they were last so the uh, the pencil I think I, I think I still think it's uh Uh, a dubious proposition just because, uh, you know, it's difficult. You can only find a couple of apps that actually uh, use it in a consistent way, uh, on and on. But I I do think that one of the advances, which I still don't see actually showing up in uh, uh, iOS uh, on the iPad, but that may be because I just have noticed haven't noticed how it works. Is this ability to be able to mark up documents that are uh, in text? Uh, I think that's a uh, you know with with the device essentially always being available to you, uh, you know the pencil uh, and the ability to be able to express uh, it. It's, it kind of crosses the border between uh, content uh, uh, consumption and uh, insight creation, which I think is going to be valuable for uh, people. And it's not going to be a big deal immediately, but I think that uh, as they capture the, that kind of handheld or uh, sort of emotion-based uh, 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 responses to things and then push that through the notification system, I think that it's going to, first of all, it'll work for them As a company, but it will also work for people as a way of capturing uh, a a way of coping with fake news and all of the uh, stuff that, you know, uh, Twitter seems to be trying to uh, stamp out uh, through stupid uh, moves. There's another aspect to the uh, iPad
1: that probably doesn't have. That much interest to you or me, but they did make a little point of it at the intro, and that is the uh, its its ability to support gaming uh, at the level of an Xbox One.
0: Um, yeah, well, I think you're right. I, uh, I I have less interest in that, but I think that uh, I do think that the uh, modularity uh, on the uh, Mac Mini that you know is represented in that release. Uh, I think that that also augurs well for the iPad. You know, basically, the, you can go to a 4 or 5K screen uh, directly through the, their switch to uh, USB-C or whatever the new cabling is. And uh, in general, the uh, ability to be able to use... I mean, I use the Mac Mini uh, for... Uh, we have like 10 of them of the older one. Uh, that we use to bring in Skype signal for uh, Gilmore Gang and G3. Uh, so uh, I think that as we move to that rendering farm uh, uh, ability and also the ability to, over the network, control multiple uh, locations and uh, instances that uh, the possibility of being able to build a essentially a content creation sort of... Uh, Hybrid news network, uh, uh, in in this newer technology, is going to filter down uh, very quickly to uh, this new generation of millennials and so on, who uh, are wondering how are they going to be able to create and continue to create, uh, and where's the channel for distribution of that, which will create the real jobs. So I think that I think Apple's really way ahead of everybody else uh, in marshalling these technologies for the benefit of uh, the next layer of jobs. Uh, I, hope, I hope you're right about that. Uh, so, but we have to get past the election uh, first. Yes. So uh, let's wind this down unless you have any in- insights that uh, uh, that go further than what we've talked about so far
1: um I, I i really don't i don't have i don't have access to the data the the problem with trying to forecast elections is that it all depends on who shows up and there's a there, there are models that they use to try and predict likely voters but i don't think those are very reliable uh especially it, this year um it it's hard to know based on past performance who actually is going to show up it's easy to find out You know, how many people favor this and how many people favor that? But it's harder to find out how many people actually register a vote.
0: Right. Well, I think that that, you know, there was a NBC News poll today that indicates that uh, there's uh, already there are more early voters than were uh, in 2016. Uh, But on the other hand, uh, it it still splits out. Uh, It's like 43 million Republicans, 41 million Democrats. Uh, yes. Now, the the good news, or at least from my perspective, would be that that doesn't take into account independents, which are really the swing vote that's going to determine the election. So uh, it, it's not a good or bad thing. But I do think that what we're seeing here, unlike in 2016, is we're actually seeing a contested election. Uh, and so I think the data that comes out of this is going to be very valuable. Yes. Um, and I'm reasonably optimistic about that, regardless of, uh, of how unstable the Senate continues to be or, uh, you know, the potential for the House. I think it would be more than shocking. In other words, more than Trump winning the presidency uh, if the Democrats didn't, didn't flip the House. I, I agree. It, for whatever it's worth, uh,
1: Nancy Pelosi on the Colbert show the other night uh, came out and flatly predicted, uh, with no hesitation and no
0: conditions, a Democratic victory in the House. Well, uh, thanks for uh, uh, doing this as usual. It uh, I've been waiting for a couple of days to see if there was any other Big trend that was going to appear to upset this cart and so far, uh, no. So we got we have a, a weekend ahead of us, uh, and uh, and then the uh, we can start to uh, breathe again, one way or the other.
1: Yes, I I I, th- I think. Although again, I have to say I don't know. Um, everything that Trump is doing to gin up his base in terms of demonizing. The, these people struggling to get through Mexico and in terms of sending troops to the border, et, et cetera, uh, may be ginning up his base, but it's also at the same time ginning up his opponents. So I I, I, I have a feeling that everything that Trump is doing it neutralizes itself.
0: Well, I, I agree with that uh, uh, assessment. On the other hand, uh, I think that there's an uber strategy on the part of the uh, uh you know trump and, and the republicans as well uh which is to uh, enrage people to the point that they give up caring and uh, uh i think that uh it, it can't come soon enough this election and the the other good news is, is it's already underway yes um it, it, it different states
1: have different rules but in in many states the early votes were already counted although not announced in, in other states, they don't count anything until the polls close. They just
0: register them and scoop them up and put them in a queue to get counted. Well maybe the Russians going to let us know what the uh, results already are. Maybe we, maybe we can find out. All right. Michael Martin, thank you, sir. You're welcome.
2: Well, we had an interesting conversation yesterday, which tried to um, understand the relationship between micro-communities, decentralization.
0: What's a micro-community? I'm not aware of that. So, uh, it's a good question. Uh, Micro-networks. Micro, Micro-networks, micro
2: networks, sorry. I don't know why I keep saying the word community, because it's not really my thing to think about community, but anyway something in my head is blocking the word network in micro micro networks um, the relationship between micro networks um, decentralization in general um, or, or unbundling it's kind of the same thing and, um, and also what's going on with uh, blockchain and bitcoin and, 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 and uh, they're related in, in some way um, there's a common theme and we discussed it. So we can start any way you want
0: there. All right, well, uh, that's take one I'm trying to start. So go ahead, take two. So, so let, let's, I mean, let's start,
2: actually your question, what are micro communities is as pertinent as to what are micro networks? Because I, I, I don't know that um, this is a, a topic everyone's thinking about yet, but micro network is basically another way of describing real life. Um, in real life, we all participate in all kinds of conversations, some of which are related to our interests, some of which are related to our life um, uh, with other people, families and work, um, some of which, um, you know, they can be related to anything really, but they, they involve a, a, a subset of the human race that shares that common interest in that thing. And, and ever since the internet came along, people have tried to build software to reflect the needs of micronetworks. So a micronetwork is just <clears throat> a, part of, a part of your life, your interests or, or whatever, and everyone has lots of
0: them. Well, let, let me interrupt here. The, um, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night last night, uh, realizing that uh, the app that we're using uh, the Gilmore gang app and uh, this format that we're uh, uh, developing on uh, anchor uh, the podcast uh, creator uh, slash uh, publisher network and uh, you know by extension the uh, the larger uh, Gilmore gang uh, shows G3 etc we have uh, this is a micro network it's not a question of discussing it it's a question of implementing it and uh using it yeah and well, the yeah. the reason that i that that i i bring this up is because uh, uh, betawork studios had a session that was uh, videoed on uh, facebook live with uh two authors uh, one who i was uh, very much aware of. I've seen him in uh, some corporate uh, uh, meetings, etc. Malcolm Gladwell. And the other person uh, was uh, ostensibly the focus of the conversation, which was Stephen Johnson. Are you familiar with him? I'm not as
2: familiar with Stephen Johnson, of course. <clears throat> I know Malcolm Gladwell's work.
0: So this was an hour and a half, and uh, as is... Uh, customary or at least in my experience with podcasts uh, you sample it at the beginning and you see whether or not it can hold your attention and this one did uh, for a number of reasons that uh, were surprising to me namely uh, the uh, the humor of uh, Malcolm Gladwell Uh, there were various uh, discussions around uh, Stephen Johnson's book, uh, The Name of Which Escapes Me, uh, where, and then this was all followed by a, a Q&A period where people were asking uh, questions of one or the other or both. And uh, Stephen Johnson kept uh, sort of passing the baton uh, to Gladwell, and he would basically shake his head and, Pass the you know with a hand gesture pass it back to uh stephen johnson there was a great deal of uh respect going in both directions between the two so there was uh, an interesting balance there yeah so uh i it was on facebook live uh, uh, there was a newsletter that i got from uh, betaworks uh, that uh, pointed out this conversation i uh, clicked on the share button and shared it into the app. Uh, at the moment that I did that, there was also another uh, conversation that I've had, which I haven't finished editing. There was a glitch in the middle of the recording. Uh, so I had to, we had to sort of overlap uh, with Dennis Pombrian, uh And it was about micro networks. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, carefully... Uh, like this conversation we'd have a, a a long conversation that we didn't record uh about what we think is interesting about this moment and so it's not hasn't been published yet so the only uh listener that is aware of it other than uh, Dennis is me yeah and, and uh it, it it suddenly occurred to me uh, in the middle of the night that this was an operational micro network, because it's in addition to the uh, material that uh, flows through the app uh, by contribution, people posting uh, citations and links to uh, printed content, etc. There was also this emerging, uh, you know, podcast wave, uh, which this drafts a, a little bit off of. I mean, the Gilmore Gang was probably the second podcast. Uh, going back to the beginning with Dave Weiner and uh, Adam Curry. But, uh, you know, this experience and the sort of capturing of podcasts uh, as a tool of not just uh, micromedia, if you pardon the expression, but also mainstream media. Yeah. Actually, at that time, I did a
2: podcast called Earnings Cast, um, I remember being in Stanford University. I think you were there and Weiner was there at the, one of the first podcast meetings. And I realized that podcasting could be very powerful. And I realized that um, every company that does an earnings call has a community of people are interested in it, mainly analysts. Um, but that it's pretty hard to get access to the earnings calls um, in delayed time. It's pretty easy to get them in real time if you're an analyst, but, but you can't um, subscribe and get them on demand later. So I created a podcast and I took basically every earnings call and podcast it, and created an archive and, a, and, and um, got lots of hedge funds and analysts subscribing to it, which in their own right are kind of micro-communities as well, micro-networks, sorry. Every time I say community, you should find me five bucks. Yeah, but what what, what is five bucks? Exactly. Is that fiat currency or, or what? Fiat's fine. Uh, 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 that's a lot of Bitcoin these days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> really, you can you can own Ripple. Uh, f- yeah. by losing a couple of bets. But um, Stephen Johnson's book
2: is called "Where Good Ideas Come From."
0: Well, that maybe he evidently writes uh, a book. He has two or three or four uh, books simultaneously uh, in production. Uh, well, the, at any one time. So, Well, that one in
2: particular is quite relevant to what you're saying because um, it, 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 it makes the point that good ideas come from what he calls adjacencies. And uh, that is to say things that are possible given what already exists but haven't yet come about. Um, uh, so, it, so adjacency is relative to what exists and if you think about micronetworks, it's, um, it's a whole spider's web of adjacencies. Uh, that is to say, people who who uh, have similar but not exactly the same interests talk to each other. Um, so Gladwell and Johnson and the Gilmore Gang would be adjacencies in that sense.
0: But- yeah, and, and so would, uh, you know, the reference to uh, your uh, initial podcast and uh, and just in general, the idea of podcasts uh, being pigeonholed as on-demand, when in reality, uh, in a, a world of information glut, uh, the choices that are made in terms of absorbing information involve a certain degree of time shifting, and you know a, a whole bunch of different levers uh, with which this kind of there that's there inside. Uh, this body of uh of signal uh it it it's really a compelling uh it's like the fire Sync theater uh basically uh, used to say or at least i used to say about them which was the uh so they called themselves at one point the theater of the mind yeah uh, and you know the idea of production value as a producer or a director uh, there's nothing that beats the imagination because everybody uh, who's listening or involved in that uh, experience is basically the producer, director, executive producer, funder, creator, founder, etc. of this universe that is everything that they expect it to be plus everything that they would like it to be.
2: Yeah, so, so it's kind of interesting if you, if, you, if, you take, if you run with that and you ask the question, like you said, the Gilmore Gang is a micro-network. Well, that's true, but what the app does is manifest it for each other, each, everyone who's part of the network, and allows you to participate in the network in a way that enhances the, what you would do before the app. So the Gilmore Gang predates the app and was a micro network before the app, but the app manifests it, and um, you know, in a in a way, Twitter tries to play that role. Uh, Twitter has, using hashtags mainly, the ability to cluster content around topics and people, Um, but it does a really poor job of managing the adjacencies, as in, it's all mixed up. It's really hard to separate. It's really hard to engage without also having to see stuff you don't care about. Uh, and, and so, you know, from the world view of software, Twitter really does a bad job of allowing micro-communities to manifest themselves. They ah, exist. there you go, $5, thank you. Uh, sorry, micro-networks, uh, to manifest themselves. Uh, e- even though they are there, they're, they're buried inside. Whereas the Gilmore Gang app um, is a very clear delineated um, manifestation of the Gilmore Gang micronetwork. Now, how could the Gilmore Gang app help other micronetworks also manifest themselves to create this adjacency that is clear and discoverable? It feels like that's the next question.
0: Yeah, so I, I, let me just kind of uh, remove a little bit of the friction here uh, around the use of the phrase micro-communities, micro-networks. Uh, I, I understand what you're saying about the the gang, uh, the you know show, uh, the conversation as being a micro-network, but I, I think that it embodies, to a certain extent, uh, the no, the activity of a micro network rather than being a micro network. Uh, and, you know, I think why you go to uh, communities, micro communities is because of this adjacency uh, idea uh, yeah. that there's something in between uh, the, uh, uh, you know, the individual bits, uh, the so-called content, there's this layer of metadata, there's this layer of social, uh, not hierarchy, but uh, not rank either. Something that's kind of a glue, a social glue that operates uh, Mm -hmm. as kind of a primordial soup that uh, that these semi-related nuggets of interest uh, can sometimes fire off as a synapse or yeah some yes, no other explanation to create something that's beyond uh, anybody's expectations
2: yeah i i even think the adjacency is too weak a, a word i think it's overlapping uh, cuz adjacency suggests separateness when in fact um, they're not they're not separate they they it's like it's more like a, a bubbles overlapping than it is
0: like a spider's web right well the you know often when we look at the uh, Venn diagram of social clouds that emanate uh, on Twitter, uh, you know, we're seeing, uh, you know, there's the, the first person, or I, I, I forget how it, it would be uh, managed as a concept, but uh, basically I follow uh, 400 people, 300 people. Of those, uh, we get down to the Dunbar number of around. Uh, you know, maxing out of like 100, 150 people uh, that I subscribe to the live notifications of. So that's a smaller uh, uh, cloud, circle. Yeah. And then each of those people has uh, a uh, similar kind of cloud, which is composed of, who they're interested in, who they uh, create as a kind of micro, maybe that's a micro community that they then derive certain signal from. And the combination of the overlapping Venn diagram of those circles, uh, although it's difficult to manage, it seems to me to be uh, where the true uh, synergy of Uh, this kind of a network uh,
2: evolves. I I agree, but use me as an example and speak to this then. So I, uh, I use the the gang app for everything related to the gang, uh, which is really about tech. So it, it, it spills over outside the gang into all the things and it's about politics. So ultimately it's really about the people and a bunch of themes that we that we talk about and share in common and, and argue and discuss about now in another zone, I use the telegram app for a lot of crypto related stuff because all the people that are doing crypto always create these telegram groups and that's where they talk about it. And um, then I use um, Apple news for Manchester United related stuff where everyone that is interested in Manchester United can see what's going on. Now, this just for those of us who don't care, that's a, a soccer. That is an English soccer team. It's the richest sports franchise in the world with almost a billion fans worldwide, but, but
0: it's okay. Uh, speaking as a Yankee fan, I don't care, but uh, I'm growing more and more fond of it as the years go by. Yankees are number two, actually, by, measured by value. But,
2: uh, so they're, they're up there. But anyways, um, the reason I think the gang app is important is because compared to the other two, it engages um, in in so many different ways. Like, think about this Anchor podcast. This in this particular podcast, Anchor plays the role of a tool, enabling us to have a conversation that can be shared with others through the Gang app. Um, and, and you know, so Anchor isn't a micro network; it's a tool for a micro network. The more micro networks manifest themselves, the more customers Anchor's gonna have. So it, it, it feels as if Anchor would find it hard, well, couldn't play that role in Apple News at all, so vis-a-vis Manchester United, it, because Apple News is not enough of a micro network uh, tool. It's it's a poor tool for that micro network. It's just a news feed, uh, like, a bit like RSS was. Um, and Telegram really can't play that role because Telegram's a chat-centric tool that's real-time. Uh, you can always go on demand, but it's really hard to discover stuff. And things are not properly organized or clustered. So it feels as if the Gang app is a step towards how to manifest a micro network and give it um, ongoing presence, if you like, over time with lots of different ways that, that those micronetworks want to use to interact with each other and the world.
0: All right, so what is it that, uh, what is it that you see uh, that comes out of that uh, experience?
2: What comes, out that of it, is what comes out of it is um, a way to be part of a micro network, engage with it, contribute to it on your own terms. You know, it, it isn't pushing you to engage, although there are notifications and, and, and alerts that keep you aware of things. It's really, um, I can go into the Gang app and I can look at every person, uh, what they've posted, what they've liked, what they've uh, uh, shared, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, uh, Assuming you publish this into the app, I can listen to all of the GGXs going back. Um, uh, It uses hashtags so you know, that's, it's possible to pull things within the micro-network out uh, by subtopic or sub-theme. So it, it's just a more comprehensive um, organiser of a micro-network in a way that Twitter c- couldn't be, because with Twitter, all the overlaps and adjacencies get mixed up with each other. So you can't pull the Gilmore gang out of Twitter and, and have this constant um, thing. So the, you, you don't like it when I say this, but the nearest equivalent to me is the news groups that existed on the internet back in the mid-90s, which for all their faults, people took them over and things like that, and there was no curation and no organization, no leadership, um, so they were, they were bad in lots of ways. But the one thing that was good about them is they created a magnet for people interested in that particular thing, which could be very granular um eventually it didn't work well and the internet's really hasn't produced anything that does work well ever since and the gilmore gang app feels to me to be to have a lot of the elements that any micro network would need to exist outside of the real world in a in a digital sense
0: all right so what i'm trying to tease out of here is uh, uh a crystallization or at least some sort of uh, sketch of what uh, the micro network value proposition is. Um, Happiness is
2: uh, the bottom line. I mean, what makes anyone more happy than um, being with, hanging out, interacting with people who share a passion with them of some kind, whatever that passion is. Um, so, So, a micronetwork is just improved version of life because you already have these micronetworks in life. Like I went to a Christmas party last night with people I know really well, but I hadn't seen a lot of them for more than a year. Um, and there's no software a, a version of our relationship that's been ongoing in between times. So it's a purely analog set of relationships. Uh, when you digitize relationships, which is, I think, what a micro-network is doing, um, and relationships not just meaning people, but the topics that they share in common and have a passion for, that is uh, that creates permanence and the ability to dip in, dip out, contribute or listen on an ongoing basis so it maintains uh, um, this permanence um, and, and um, uh, about something that makes you happy. So, uh, so it's hum- what what I very core. Cool, it's ubiquitous
0: human need. Well, I don't want to get too Maslow uh, <laughs> you know, here, thank you. Uh, but uh, I mean, I, I sort of recoil at the use of the word happy because uh, I, I don't know, one of the interesting things about Gladwell uh, on this uh, recording uh, was uh he has this uh enormously uh biting uh and uh arch sense of humor but it's it's represented or expressed by not saying anything uh, it, it's not even uh you know the raised eyebrow it's it's more uh, uh, this blank slate, but you you pour into it this kind of uh, silence. Yeah, and uh, but understanding, you know, the actual listening that's going on. Uh, he was a combination of uh, quiet but intensely participating, mm. which was a, a, a fascinating uh, kind of experience. And uh, I'd seen him talking about whatever he talks about. Uh, or at least coming from that focus Uh, and uh, that's one experience but this was something uh, completely different and interestingly he started a podcast uh, which I just before we uh, started I checked into it and there was a conversation with Niall Rogers the uh, uh, producer uh, and uh, writer guitar player of Chic and he produced uh, Bowie and a whole bunch of people and I was lucky enough to be in the studio with him uh, when he was producing Grace Jones record, So I know the guy and was just starting to listen to it. Uh, and the, the show is introduced by uh, Malcolm who, who then basically says that there's this uh, colleague of his, there are three names and I've forgotten who they are other than Malcolm. Uh, it, was in, talked with Niall Rogers in the studio. So he starts, he gives this kind of sense of presence and uh, context without really saying a lot. Mm. Uh, And I mean, he said who Niall was, and then boom, passes it off. And it's just, so anyway, the reason that I keep sort of uh, trying to plumb the depths of this, uh, there, there, you know, inside the app, is because there's that same kind of still—I don't know what you called it uh, you know, presence of uh, of the aggregate group mm-hmm. and, Perm- and permanence.
2: I, I said permanence, or so anyway, but but anyway, you, it's
0: yeah. it's somewhat there's a, there's a there, there that's sticky it it doesn 't necessarily present itself uh, in obvious ways, in fact, a lot of the things uh, that I find uh, compelling about it are uh, what isn 't in the in the app uh, you know the I have always made it uh, since i 'm the largest uh, continual poster going back to when we were testing it, which we still are the uh, uh, i I felt that uh, one of the Missions of the app and in general uh, what we do on the gang and uh, and the, hopefully in these conversations is to uh, not uh, endlessly dwell on Trump or whatever it is that everybody already has had too much of, but rather uh, use the context of being aware of that general i I'd say most of the posts that are in the app are not about tech they're about Trump uh interestingly because it, it it there's this sense of outrage and this sense of hope and possibility that uh something will, can be done etc uh, both of which i think are uh you know largely e- ephemeral i don't think that anything can be done about it uh in any immediate sense but the uh, the media which is the other basic flow uh it, through the through this uh, social cloud is, uh, is defined by uh, not just brevity, but quality or context or insight uh, that can be derived from the relationships between these different pieces.
2: Well, it's, for me, the word is depth. So why do I like being part of the gang? Um, I like the people. Even, even, and I disagree a lot with all kinds of different points of view of different people, but I fundamentally like all the people. They're honest, clear-thinking. Um, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far with me, but go ahead. Um, I, I, so number one, the people. Number two, the ability to, to have depth. Um, it's really, really hard to get depth when um, everything is both ephemeral and short, Form, you know, um, BuzzFeed being a great example of, of, of the, the opposite, the, the, the lack of depth. Um, and depth is a precondition for knowledge. And if society is prepared to not have knowledge but just have opinion, then that's detrimental to the human race. So one of the things that micro communities are good at is depth because the people involved in them care and think about and examine whatever their topic is way beyond the norm. Now, the hard bit is how you access access depth because accessing depth is time consuming. And we're living in a time where people don't want to spend time you know, The very fact of doing audio or video rules out a lot of people from engaging because they want a quick, snappy headline with a couple of paragraphs. So I think there is some kind of fundamental societal malaise that we address. Um, but that doesn't mean we're successful because the audience for depth has to engage with it and that's well there's there's an
0: interesting uh, thing that occurs to me when you say what you just said which is that uh the like for example this uh conversation with uh, uh at dataworks uh it's you know 90 minutes hour and a half and uh there's no way that i would listen to a, a you know, I I wouldn't listen to this podcast. It's just already it's thirty one minutes. It's already too long. Yeah, but but it's it's not too long if uh, you can hear the thinking that's going on and you can hear the discovery because it, you know if you discover something or I discover something, the chances are that due to this kind of affinity or these adjacencies, I'm not going to throw that away. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, there's. Uh, there's the likelihood that there are going to be other people that are going to have those uh, it, that impact of putting two and two and two and two, and two together. And uh, but uh, what I was going to say about, based on what you said was that it, it's okay not to listen to, the, to something. And in fact, the signal about not listening is as valuable, if not more valuable, than the signal of who is listening.
2: Yeah, from one point of view, I think that's true from one point of view. You know, it, it, you just reminded me of um, Dave Weinberger. Dave Weinberger, for those who don't know him, was the guy who was one of the first guys who, who understood the power of metadata. Um, back back in the 90s, actually, he's, he wrote books for Esther Dyson's... Um, um, it was called um, what was it called? Something 1.0. Uh, PC Forum was the yeah. was the release 1.0. And Dave Weinberger wrote this great um, uh, edition of release 1.0 all about metadata. And um, you know, it, it immediately takes me to this podcast that I listened to by this English guy called Harry Stebbings. And Harry Stebbings is called a 20 minute VC and um, it, it, Stebbins does a really, really good job of interviewing venture capitalists and uh, getting to the essence of what they're about. But because he knows that the audio doesn't expose the metadata of what the content is within, he, and he's, this kid is 20 years old, by the way, and he figured this out all by himself, he does headlines and bullet points on every podcast that, um, without giving away what's in the podcast um, hint at the questions that the podcast addresses or the or the problems it seeks to deal with and that's all in the metadata and it it does a very good job of getting you to listen to it because of the way it does it and I, so somehow the relationship between content and metadata is key to discovery
0: so uh, you mentioned at the beginning uh, something about uh, blockchain. Obviously, we're going through at least in the crypto area, we're going through a uh, you know what looks like the crash uh, of whatever year that was when uh, the internet blew up the first time. Two thousand. Yes, uh, and I I remember being in Palo Alto uh, in a one of these fast food or kind of wasn't a bar wasn't a. it was you just basically sat around and there were these tv screens uh scattered among these you know these tables that are high tables where you sort of sit up yep and uh you know and the everything was just going you know that world was just blowing up and it, it it feels like that now, but there's also... Well, you, you're you much more involved in that than I am. I, I'm basically... I've been waiting for this to happen before I took it at all seriously. Uh, you're not in that camp, right?
2: No, I mean... Um, I, I I was part of the 2000 thing as well. I, I had a company filed for an IPO in March 2000 at a valuation over a billion dollars, uh, real names, that... Um, I actually was live on CNN with Steve Barmer from Microsoft the day the bubble burst, announcing a deal between RealNames and Microsoft for the distribution of RealNames through their browser, Internet Explorer, um, worldwide. And the first question on the CNN um, show was, uh, Keith, does the market crash give you any pause? And on that particular day, my answer was, markets come markets go you know we're in this for the long run it's not going to affect us Um, and I I, I couldn't have been more wrong Um, so is that your answer now so well except if you contextualize so I mean use real names as an example Um, today when you go in the browser Chrome let's say and you type a search term not in Google search engine but in the browser address bar that's real names we invented that. When you pay for a keyword on Google um, through their AdWords, that's real names. We were the first people in the world to sell keywords on searches, and Google was our partner. They called it I'm feeling lucky, and they put it at the top of the search results. So, yes, the, the, the crash had a financial impact on that company at that time. Not too bad, by the way. We survived and raised money, and it was all good. But... Um, but what it didn't impact is the long term um, the long term embedding of the real names insight which was typing keywords and going to places is a good human experience that didn't get killed and it's now very valuable it's just that google is reaping the rewards of it not real names
0: right but what's the analogy to so what's so going on? so the analogy
2: to to blockchain is um not, uh, blockchain is fundamentally about the next architecture of the cloud. It, it's 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 about taking the cloud from its, um, let's call it, wholly owned fiefdoms to distributed protocols. Uh, and a distributed protocol is, um, that's what TCPIP was compared to the prior networking protocols that existed before TCPIP. It was... It was distributed and open, and new endpoints could rise up without asking permission of all the other endpoints, and it opened up the growth of the network
0: to be spontaneous. All right, so that, that, had, uh, that res- resonates with uh, what RSS did.
2: Uh, uh, RSS really, uh, so in my world, I'd, I'd describe it, yes, but I'd put it in a different context. What happened is, in the first era of the web, we got portals, which were, of course, centralized. Um, And you had to go to the portal to read the content that the portal published. Um, What RSS did is it took the content from those portals and enabled you to consume it without going to the portals. So it decentralized the content. Um, And you, you as an individual, were able to re-centralize it from multiple sources in your RSS reader. So it disaggregated centralism. Um, and, and blockchain is, is also disaggregating centralism uh, using protocols. So, for example, take um, Filecoin. Filecoin is, is using something called IPFS, which is a file system that is char- has all the characteristics of Dropbox or Box or AWS's S3 um, for storage but without a centralized uh, owner. It's just a protocol. Um, And um, uh, you have to pay in Filecoin to store stuff. So the coin is the way that the network gets rewarded. So suddenly you have um, protocols with rewards for use going to holders of the coin. Um, And the network effect drives the coin's value up because usage goes up. So suddenly rewards and usage are aligned. Um, but outside of the context of companies, there's no company that's getting all those rewards. It's, it's the holders of Filecoin, which is distributed. So, so
0: it's a, So just, just to turn this around, uh, what about this uh, innovation? Uh, is causing this uh, value crash the, well it, it's the same as the
2: internet uh, in the early days of any new um, architecture which seems to be um, the next the next iteration of the internet as a platform um, speculation runs towards it And uh, gets rewarded initially as well, because in the very, very early days, no one knows what's valid and what isn't valid. So between um, the middle of 2017 and the first quarter of 2018, we were in a frenzy of speculation, which drove up the the speculative value of all the tokens went up, separate from the underlying use of the architectures the tokens uh, were built for. So you have this separation between speculation and use. And um, as is always the case, speculative value can't survive. So at some point, people start selling and um, the price crashes down to the lowest price possible um, given the actual use of the network protocols. And that's where we're at now. Um, And and if you believe that um, a distributed cloud is going to emerge and the blockchain, or blockchains, plural, is going to be part of that, then um, you should be buying these tokens at some point because their value will reflect the use of the network. If you don't think the network will grow up, you shouldn't be buying them because then it's just speculative value.
0: But, uh, I mean, with the RSS example, uh, the value was not... uh expressed in terms of people buying RSS shares. uh, Well, well,
2: yeah, that's true, but that's because the the internet up until now had no way of financially rewarding the use of the network other than through company structures. Um, The only way you could turn use into value is creating a company with shares, building software, and having people subscribe to it or use it in large enough quantities that you can advertise to them.
0: Uh, But that was... I would suggest that our RSS, uh, although it ultimately was uh, uh, replaced or at least extended uh, by the social graph, uh, a.k.a. Twitter, and to some extent Facebook, the the immediate value was... Decentralization of who the publishers were, and with podcasting, yeah. the podcast extension to RSS, the attachment yeah. uh, it, it, that also replaced uh, the notion of transmitters and FCC licenses as well. Uh, you could basically create a small micro network uh, based on uh, you know the experience and the you know, that metadata layer you were talking about where people would suddenly start to realize that they could uh, uh, share in these adjacencies. And that's where uh, I think we are right now.
2: Um, You're right, but what was missing was the ability to form a company to
0: make money from that. So
2: um, let's say somebody would have invented... Well,
0: I mean, uh, Twitter's made... A little bit of money, and Facebook's made a lot
2: of money. So, what do you mean? Uh, I mean, I mean prior to Twitter and Facebook, in the in the pure RSS phase. And in, in, in many ways, that's one of the reasons Twitter and Facebook came about. Is how do you how do you make money from streams? Um, I don't know if you remember. There was the whole narrative at that time was streams, and um, streams were uh, given for free by publishers. And stream readers were free, like like uh, and, and and you know things like uh, Feedly, and um, al- also um, the the servers in the cloud that um, were aware of posts like Dave Weiner's web 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 blogs um, Inc. I think it was called, and uh, the one that uh, that Dick um, Costello. Uh, uh, sold to Google, um, feed 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 press. I can't remember what it was called. Feedburner. Yeah, feed burner. Yeah, um, They were they, they weren't commercial entities that could earn revenues. So you had protocols, a, a little bit like with TCP or, uh, or SMTP. You had protocols that were valuable in a human sense, um, uh, and therefore grew and and became huge. Um, but there was no commercial uh, ability to get paid or rewarded for contributing to all of that stack. And then, so what happened is you got all these walled gardens like Facebook and Twitter figuring out how to monetize streams um, or feeds. And um, uh, But it
0: doesn't follow that just because uh, it devolved into a two-horse race or whatever it... Is that uh, you know among so-called commercial or centralized uh, environments, it doesn't follow that, uh, that blockchain uh, is going to somehow disrupt that. While well, well, it, it, it might establishing not establishing revenue. It it may not, but
2: it has an innovation, and it's the key innovation that makes it at least possible. And that is that the use of protocols earns value to the people who provide the resources required for the protocols to run. And that's done through tokens or, or, or coins. So the, the, the relationship between a blockchain and a token is the innovation, um, not just that it's distributed, but it gets rewarded as it gets used. Uh, and, and that allows value, um, not through companies, but through, simply through network use. Uh, to start to grow. If you go back in time to when equities were first invented, it was like a revelation. Suddenly you could own a fractional piece of a company. Well, tokens are as profound in their impact as equities uh, at that level of abstraction, because it allows you to be rewarded for a fractional piece of the network. Collectively, it's the whole network. and the the network meaning the use of a single protocol that you invented and created this token for. So it's a massive innovation in the possibility of a different way of monetizing that if it was to work in the future, people would no longer create companies with equities. They would simply create protocols with tokens.
0: So... uh... You know, I think we should wind this down, uh, not because it, it, we're done, but because we just barely started. Uh, the uh, the thing that uh, I wouldn't say bothers me, but uh, is open to question, uh, is uh, this sort of religion of decentralized, uh, you know, taking uh, it, its dominant. Uh, position uh, versus uh, you know, FANG, uh, you know, yeah, large yeah. companies, you know, I, and uh, there was one, one also small data point. There's a, a publication called The Information that I subscribe to and Me too. Uh, yeah. So there was uh, a newsletter or something that sort of was the end of year uh, rap uh Wrap up of uh, you know what's happening, what's important, what's going to survive, etc. Uh, written by the editor, but uh, in, in a couple of domains, there were uh, some of the uh, editors or uh, reporters uh, were weighing in, and one of them basically made the claim that Netflix was not going to survive, that it would be acquired by Apple or some, something like that. Now, uh, uh, this guy might be right, but my intuition is that he's not right. Um, And I I think that that relates to this issue of decentralization. I mean, there's something about uh, the... uh, To me, Netflix is an extension of, as is all binge television you know connected tv uh uh uh, whatever it's called uh peak tv this is all uh the outgrowth of the fragmentation of the major networks which was started by rss and podcasting that's my theory and i'm going to stick to it because uh i don't see anything that uh legitimately uh, happened before then or after then that had such an impact. Our, yeah. our, and therefore the question in my mind is, uh, what is it that's going to disrupt Netflix? Uh, it, is it going to be uh, acquisition by a, a a large, you know, uh, product organized uh, company? Like Apple, uh, uh, you know. So,
2: so I, I. Do you think so?
0: Well, I, I think there's uh,
2: at least two overlapping histories. Um, one of them is, you know, let's say halfway through its life, or uh, maybe more than halfway through, and that's what you were just talking about, and that that's the history of um, using the cloud to provide services for consumers. Um, like streaming movies or TV shows that Netflix represents. Um, and that is a highly centralized history of um, building up value and uh, selling it through subscriptions or other methods to to the world. And, and, and I think you're right that that history is not going to stop. It's not as if suddenly centralization will give way to decentralization um, and uh, like flipping a switch or something. So that history will go on. It's entirely conceivable that Apple would buy Netflix. It's also conceivable they won't, but it doesn't matter because it's still that centralized um, period, if you like, in the history of the cloud. Um, Now, simultaneously with that, and at the very early stage, is is, is the beginning of a decentralized history, which may or may not have a big future. We don't know yet. Um, but in in that decentralized history, you could, for example, you could imagine that the production company that made um, Little Drummer Girl, which is currently showing on AMC Premium, which I r- highly recommend as a, as a binge-watchable series, it's really good, um, it's conceivable that the uh, people who made that could submit it to uh, a blockchain-based protocol called uh, TV stream or something that you, as a subscriber, could choose to watch it, and in doing so, would pay in some TV stream coin that they'd minted, and that there would never be anything in between the production company and you as a consumer um, in the form of distribution channels. Um, that that would be complete, so that every TV production company or movie production company or any production would become a sole publisher and and the network would give you access to their content which you would pay for in whatever denomination they decided and there'd be no middleman taking their 30% or their 20% or whatever. That, that, that is technically is what I call um, an unborn child and what Stephen Johnson called um, an adjacent idea. What, what, what I mean by it, I think he means the same, is Everything technically required to create that world already, already exists. There's no invention needed. All that's needed is to start using it. Um, so, so
0: if that is... Well, what, about, what about the incentive of uh, uh, who is it who's going to be uh, deriving the benefit from the creation of the products that are going to be sold over that network? The,
2: the same as today, the bit that goes away is the middleman. Um, so 100% of the value goes to the producer, the creator, uh, the talent, you know, you know um, and, and, and none of it goes to the distribution channel. But
0: w- w- give me an example in history that, uh, where that actually occurred.
2: I don't think there ever has been one because the underlying technology to make it possible didn't exist.
0: Okay. But do you think that's what was the gating factor in that never happening?
2: Yeah, I think distributors always added value, a lot of value. Actually, the further you go back, the more value they added. And in fact, you couldn't have gotten copyright law unless that was true. Um, that uh, you know where you buy the rights um, from the artist um, uh, because the artist needs you. Um, that 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 that. That was always the case. So uh, middlemen, publishers, distributors are not bad people, they were essential, Um, but they're becoming unnecessary, or or they could, I'm not saying they are going to, but it's technically possible now for them to become unnecessary. And so if they choose to, and it'll be interesting, the first production company that doesn't sell, you know, doesn't go to Sundams and doesn't sell the rights, but rather publishes itself and gives you a way to consume, with no one in the middle. That'll be an interesting day when that happens.
0: Well, I mean, Louis C.K. did that with uh, his uh, uh, concerts, which he filmed, uh, you know, uh, paid for, uh, owned the master. Yeah. And so now... And he made a lot of money on so, it.
2: So, so now imagine that in a crypto world, basically me and my wife would have to have a wallet full of, let 's call it stream coins, and every time we watch something, it would be deducted from our wallet and put in the wallet of the producer um, and The more stream coins got used, the higher the price of a stream coin would become so basically the producer would benefit directly through their own currency for the use of their the network for their stuff that that's as simple as okay instead of subscribing to amc or youtube tv or comcast i'm just gonna have a wallet full of stream coins and i'm going to spend them every time i watch something
0: well the the reason the fundamental reason why these things don't happen is that uh, the incumbents uh block them
2: yep well because they can write big checks but i that's why I said the first company that chooses not to accept the big check but to go down this path as long as their content is desired it, it, you know it would work for example for n f l because people will just do whatever it takes to see their team it'll work it would work for the English Premier League soccer it might work for news um certainly would work for for compelling news that uh, must see news it might work for depth you know like uh, things where people who care mic- micro networks want to consume stuff because they care about it there's a lot of scenarios
0: that, where it would work alright so I think uh, the, the last one that you mentioned I think is the most likely if it's going to happen at all Yeah, which is uh, you know, m- marrying the uh, cost of production with the, uh, uh, the uh, what you call passion uh, you know, the proximity uh, effect of a micro network. Yeah. All right. Uh, we didn't get everything uh, in, but most of it. Yep. It was good. Okay. Keith's here. Thank you very much.
2: You're welcome, Steve Gilmore. <laughs> See you next week or whatever. All
0: right. Bye-bye. bye bye